Welcome to Grace to Stand. We are so glad to be back with you today, and I'm here with my good friend, Pastor George Sayer of Meadowview Presbyterian Church, Reformed Presbyterian Church in Lexington, and I am Darren Stone. Uh, really glad to have you with us. We're going to start a new uh, series here, just through uh, four or five um, uh, episodes on the topic of worship. And uh, because uh, George and I and and uh, the scriptures really seem to teach, and we agree that uh, uh, people are made for worship, we wanted to plumb the depths of this idea of worship and really what it means for the Christian life, what it looks like uh, as we go about engaging in our day-to-day lives and also on the Lord's Day, and also to to discuss how all of us are made to worship, every single person. So this is not unique to the Christian. Everybody's life is going to be galvanized by something, and we wanted to just dig into some of the nitty-gritty of all of that. So, um, you know, George, when you think of of worship, uh, what is what is it that just immediately crops into your mind. Where does your mind and your heart go when you think of that word and that whole concept of worship? Wow, that's that's a great question, Darren. Good good start to this uh, idea and this concept of worship. I I would think I would say, you know, when I was in my younger days, I would have said, you know, going to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now. I might, if you were to ask me that, I would probably change, it would change depending on whatever was on my mind, but I would either think of corporate worship, which would be again occurring on Sunday, but just more broadly relationship with with God, how human beings relate to the creator. And worship is, there's a narrow sense to it and there's a broad sense to it, but we were made to worship. That's that's going to be the title of this episode, and that's what it is. And so how does worship relate to life? And, uh, you know, I, I often think when if you just say, like, worship verses from, like, Romans 12 come to mind, which I'm sure we'll cover, or or uh, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, or um, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It's a, To me, it's a posture toward God. Right. And it's a posture toward God such that uh, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God, and that's worship, and enjoy him forever. It's a posture toward God, a relationship toward God, whereby we are doing and acting and responding how we are made to do, act, and respond as creature toward our creator. But it's, it's what we're longing for. And our world and our culture and our society probably hear the word worship and they think duty, drag, um, appease the deity, you know, the, the ogre in the sky. And that's just not what it is. So and I like I like that you mentioned something about uh, our what we're longing for, uh, because I, that that seems to really get to the crux of what worship is. And. and Augustine will will talk a lot about this as well, um, that we're fundamentally desiring human beings. I mean, pe- we're we're people with with desires and longings, 
and uh, those those longings are are directed toward something that is designed to meet those desires. And so whatever it is that we long for, what our what our fundamental desires are, uh, display what that which is our functional God, whether it is the one true living God of Scripture, or whether it is to some other created thing that we prop up to to the 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 place of God in our lives. And so when you look at Scripture, it seems to 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 be that there are two categories of people. And there are those who are worshipers of God, and then there are those who are idolaters, and idolaters are worshipers of created things. So regardless of whether you are a follower of Christ or not, you are a worshiper. Uh, so it, so all of life is fundamentally religious then, isn't it? Right? Yes. As, as a matter of fact, I think it's James that equates because i like what you said about idolaters and mm -hmm. um tim keller's you know famously said you know idolatry is making good things ultimate things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think it's james who equates coveting to idolatry i could be wrong it might be paul I'm, the verse is escaping me but like where we get that connection where today because very few people today particularly in western civilization and and you know, bow down before statues and idols, although there are some, um, but we can clearly say in our, in our minds that when we prioritize other things before God, that is idolatry. Well, it is. I mean, think about how this corresponds on the Ten Commandments, right? So you shall not covet, that's the Tenth Commandment. And the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. And so the Ten Commandments are bookended there by the by we are to have no other gods before God and we shall not covet. And and covetousness is really our our desires be, becoming um becoming so uh disoriented that we our longings, our, our our true longings, are for things and people, and respect and honor and power and control and approval, whatever it might be. Uh, from from that which is not God, and so that's that's what coveting really is. So you talk about idolaters, and you look and you think about them in, in the. Old Testament, and you think, well, these are just primitive, superstitious people who bow down to to statues and so forth. Well, for one thing, uh, in the Eastern world, in many Eastern religions, they they and Roman Catholicism, for instance, as well, as, a, as something that has much more Western sensibilities to it. There's there's the 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 worship of images, worship of of um, of actual idols and and um, and uh, uh, fixtures, so forth, because it's believed that there is a certain power that that emanates from those particular things, and so there's there's actual worship of that. So that's happening in our own day and age, but but it happens amongst people that we would also consider to be sophisticated modern educated 
folks. I mean, the 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 quest for that which is more and bigger and better and shiny and sparkly and and so forth. So because it because it's not a, a literal golden calf, uh, we 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 worship those objects. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, so and, and- I mean, they're they're the. In other words, they're the they're the the objects which which give us a reason to get up in the morning and do what it is we do. And they can be very good things too, right? I mean, that's. I think you mentioned that a minute ago from 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 Keller taking good things and making them ultimate things, you know. So so there's 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 family idolatries, there's work idolatries. These are all good things, but but they become ultimate. They be, they replace God. Right, right. And so it wasn't James, although James obviously talks about uh, coveting. But it's Ephesians five five. Uh, <clears throat> Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And then Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so mm-hmm. I think that that today, as we relate how we've made idols out of things like career and um, possessions, we can say on scriptural grounds, that's idolatry. It's not just some... Uh, something we uh, we say but it reminds me of like when christ says do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth mm-hmm. rust destroy and thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where those things don't happen for where your treasure is there your heart is also you know there mm-hmm. there your and so again we replace worship of god and and by worship i'm saying how we are called to relate to the creator um, with mm-hmm. things, with ideas. And this Sunday, you know, I was even talking to the congregation because Jesus says, do not, uh, labor for the, for bread, which does not satisfy, you know, when you, mm-hmm. in, the, in the bread mm-hmm. of life discourse, but we're, you know, and so the idea is we work for things in life. We relate to things, even ideas, mm-hmm. concepts, things, uh, in ways that we're called to relate to God in those things. And in that case, it's like we make God, Christ, a um, a means to an end, a means to mm-hmm. get what we really want. And right. But when we really want Christ, then all the other things that will be added to you also, you know what Jesus says. It's he like first the kingdom of God. Yeah. <laughs> right. When we, when we really want Christ... All those things are viewed through the lens of good blessings from a good father to his children mm-hmm. that we can enjoy. They're mm-hmm. not, they don't become those ultimate things. They don't become the means to an end. And Christ is just a way to get them. Mm-hmm. Christ is what we want. And he gives us all this other stuff. You know, um, again, relationships, ideas, uh, possessions, career, whatever. So it really much is a posture of life. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I... What, it may surprise people that both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, like there's not one word that we translate into worship. And so for instance, in the Exodus, uh, when, when, when God says, you know, you're going to deliver my people and this shall be a sign to you, uh, that when, when you come out, they will serve me on this mountain, you know, and some translations may say, worship me. And the context is worship. And then Moses will tell Pharaoh, uh, 
you know, let my people go from God, that they may serve me on this mountain. And what is that, that serving, you know? Well, what does God do is he, he, he starts feeding them. <laughs> he starts mm-hmm. like he delivers them. And then the serving on the mountain is, is just people relating to God in relationship, you know? And so when you, you see this, by the way, even in, in Romans 12, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But some translations say reasonable service. And I think that's where we get the idea of Sunday worship. Sometimes we call it services. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, service. where's the word services coming? Because mm-hmm. that is one way the Bible uses to explain how we uh, how we relate to God. Also, the word sacrifice is often used as worship in, in the Bible. And you see the connection there in this Romans 12, that we're not making animal sacrifices, but your uh, bodies are become a living sacrifice, meaning as we live and work and do, uh, that is spiritual worship, that sacrifice, you know? And so there's all, uh, also the Bible will talk about prostrating oneself. And, it, you know, so somebody may be bowing down before the Lord, and that's described as worship. And so we have these different words in the scripture that um, are, are are often translated or viewed as, as worship. And that's why I said it's it's a posture toward our creator, and it expresses itself in, in various ways. But that Exodus paradigm of deliverance so that they may serve me, but then what is it? God's dwelling with them, right? God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he delivers them out of Egypt from slavery into relationship for dwelling. They build a tabernacle, God's, you know, uh, home, so to speak. Of course, no home could contain him, but his presence being among them. So you get Jesus coming and he says, the word became flesh and he tabernacled or dwelt among his people. Uh, and, and that's how revelation ends, you know, so there's something about worship that brings us into proximity and relationship with the creator. Exactly. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, what, you know, if I were to to define worship from a biblical standpoint, um, I, you know, I think of something like Psalm 29, where, you know, worship is really almost defined there as giving the Lord the glory due his name. And glory, that Hebrew word, uh, really re- refers to the to his weightiness. In other words, he, yes. he, 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 um, he fills the room, you know, the, 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 the Isaiah talks about the train of his robe filling the temple. And that's just the train of his robe, <laughs> just the train of his robe. And I mean, the, the yes. he, he, he has that weight uh, in your life to such a degree that what you think about and what you desire and what you pursue and what you avoid and what you declare with your lips and your life is ultimately about about giving God the glory to His name. Not that not that through our worship we actually add something to 
who God is, that he's, in other words, that he's dependent upon us in order to add to him, but because we obviously can't do that, when we're talking about giving him the glory to his name, it's about acknowledging him for who he actually is, and then living and speaking and thinking and desiring in ways that conform to his weightiness in our life. So when we, and and so in that sense, we're acknowledging that he is tabernacling among us. And where does he tabernacle now? So we're that th- there's that tabernacle, there's that you know Ark of the Covenant, there's that that the temple in the Old Testament and so forth. Um, and the place of worship was really important then. But now, where does he worship, or where where does he tabernacle? He and who who's the temple? The you temple know, is you and me. Right, I right. mean, and and he dwells in us through the holy in the holy the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and and so and then as individuals, but also collectively as the church, and and so that's where he dwells, and he promises that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and so if that is the case. I, I I always like to go back to this idea of authenticity because it is authentic. We're being our authentic, most truly human selves when we worship him as he reveals himself to be in the ways in which he calls us to worship him. And we're being inauthentic. We're being the, the, the plastic, you know, Barbie movie, Lie. I didn't see it. I, I didn't. Know. I did not. I mean, I mean, I, I can't judge it. I don't know. It's not. However, it's not. I think my skin is looking in this light. I know you look. I, I know. Not, I am. I know. Not, there. I did not go see it. But but nonetheless, I mean that. So, but that's completely not the way that the world speaks to us, right? The world. The world says, "No, you become. You become." your most authentic self when you look inward and you you create your own self-definition, your own identity, and you you pursue that which is aligned with that. And so you do you, right? Like that is that is the the sort of the mantra of the age. Whereas the the gospel has something completely. I mean, it's a one hundred eighty degree. It's a, a difference. It says that that you no, know, you actually find your true self when you when when you don't look within, but you actually look outside of yourself, and you look to you look to the one true and living God as He reveals Himself in Scripture, and you worship Him as He is, and you worship Him in the ways that He calls you to worship Him by faith, because of the grace that He's given to you, and you you your life begins to take shape like that so it's like what you said about Romans 12 1 and 2 you know um to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god and then we no longer conf- we no longer conform to the pattern of this world and the pattern of this world is to look within but instead we are transformed by the renewing of our mind and that transformation of the renewing of our mind involves giving God the glory due his name. That's good. That's really good. So I've been reading recently uh, David F. Wells, uh, The Courage to be Protestant. He's written just a great series of books. Mm -hmm. 
on the current state of the church. And he, he talks about that weightiness. I'm glad you went there with, you know, gl glory having to do with like, there, there's, there's a weight to it, you know, and how went in this individualistic self, everything's the self, you know, we worship the self in our, in Western civilization and in America in, in this day and age, but yet we can't, we can't carry that weight when we make mm -hmm. ourselves the center of the universe that everybody else must revolve around and our identity and our wants and our desires and what we think is, is right. And, um, you know, almost any infringement upon those things becomes a, a civil, like, uh, a violation of a civil right. Like we are taking the weight that only God can, can have and, and our souls can't, uh, can't bear that. I think that's also why, why Christ says, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, you know, take my yoke upon you. You know, it's like, there's this, uh, he alleviates that when we get the cre creator creature distinction wrong, that's where everything goes wrong. And mm -hmm. our world is in our society is a society that is searching for meaning, happiness, um, you know, the Old Testament concept of shalom. That's, you know, it's it's amazing that idea of shalom and peace, which is not, you know, peace between countries, but it's just a fullness of being. I mean, that that quest has never left humanity. And today we're searching for it in all kinds of ways. But when we root our very existence and purpose into our creator who created us, all these things are added to us. You know, and it's a, it's just it, it's a beautiful and amazing thing. And mm -hmm. what we're going to do as we we have these conversations over the next few weeks is because there is a, a move in Protestantism and it's happened already where, you know, we don't have to go to church because mm -hmm. Romans 12, one and two, you know, your body is a living sacrifice. And first Corinthians 10 and Colossians three and Ephesians, whatever, like whatever you do, you're doing it to the glory of God. And. And uh, or or John four, you know, uh, we are to worship in spirit and in truth, not on this mountain and not on that mountain. But it, you know, and it, that must mean we don't have to go to church. And it's actually the opposite that we create a pattern in our life. Not we create; it has been given and created to us that we gather as the body of Christ for overt corporate gathered glorifying of God and letting him feed us with his word, you know, on Sundays as the body of Christ. And that removes that individualistic, you know, it's me and God thing, you know, that there, there, there is, there is a tendency to be just vertical, me and God, me and God, me and God, but he makes us a body, a kingdom, a called out people, the ecclesia, the church, um, all the one and others in the Bible. And I think coming together on a Sunday for corporate worship helps us do that. And in a reformed sense, we, we value that we have a value. We have a view of the Sabbath that the Lord's day is the, is the Sabbath. We have a view of what we call the ordinary means of grace. It's more, it's more than just people coming together and hearing the word. You can you you could read the Bible in your house and you're called to do that. You can pray alone in your bedroom and you're called to do that. But there's something that's that's occurring as the people of God on Sundays. And we'll we'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about, you know, this this idea of the regulative principle that Presbyter Reformed Presbyterians hold to. And it's why we guard worship. 
you know, for, for me here at Meadowview, it's, it's, I, I'm very strict about what happens between call to worship and benediction. Um, and, you know, and others will be even stricter and say all of Sunday should conform to this or any, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the point is why we don't do certain things in our worship services, or we shouldn't, and, and yet you may see them in other evangelical churches in other traditions is because we uphold uh, the regulative principle. We only do what God instructs or commands in worship, as opposed to the normative principle, which says anything he, that's not forbidden is okay. And um, so we have some we have some guardrails that a lot of our churches don't really understand because they're more broadly conservative evangelical as opposed to um, distinctly reformed, and, and we'll we'll talk about that. But there's other there's also other kinds of worship. There's 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 family worship, Darren, and I know you and I have spoken a lot about that. Yeah, we and we've done uh, we've done a little bit on grace to stand regarding family worship, but I mean I would just. I think what I would add to to that is is that our worship on the Lord's Day is is designed to prepare us to be worshipers of Him in all of life. Oh, that's good. That's a so, good. So, so it's it's not it, you know it's it's not where we go check off our 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 box for an hour and an hour and a half and we do our duty. I mean, it, it's it's so much more than that. Um, there's something there's something formative that happens as we gather together on the Lord's Day that prepares us to worship well as as families, uh, and we'll we'll dig into that idea of family worship a little bit more. But but really in all of of life, and this notion of you know being able to be um, you know the the church is is sort of peripheral. It's not. It, it it it's not as essential maybe even the preaching of the word is not as essential as my own quiet time or the the, the gathered worship is um is is secondary it it's it's just not essential to the way in which i live my christian life or to how i understand myself as a follower of christ or to how i i am able you know enabled to love my neighbor or or anything like that, um, it, it absolutely is essential. I mean, it, it, I I picture it almost as the as the hub on where all of the spokes of the wheel just just spawn out from the hub, and so that Lord's Day. I love that. Yeah, that that Lord's Day Day worship really is it is that hub. Um, it's, you know, it's, it is the, um, well, I was going to say it's like the Atlanta airport of the Christian life, but, ah. but, Atlanta, but, but Atlanta, the Atlanta airport can sometimes feel like the, 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 the abyss. That's not a very good example for many people, but the, but, the, but the picture is what I want us to see. It's, 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 you, you go there, you get filled, you go to worship you know, you, there's this whole notion of you don't go to church to to get, you, you go to give. I mean, you go to serve and so forth. And there's certainly an element of that. And I understand where that frame of mind is coming from. But I mean, I want my people coming to the Lord's Day worship to get. I want them to get God. I want to, as a preacher, feed them God. I want to feed them with the singing and the reading and the praying and the preaching of the word and with the the, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, the baptism. 
I want them to be fed so that when they leave that place and they go back into their families and they go back into their jobs and they go back into their diaper changing and laundry folding and and lawn mowing, that they're doing everything, whether they eat, drink, or whatever it is that they do, they're doing it for the glory of God and they're giving him the glory to his name. And so uh, we're we're probably going to spend a little bit more time talking about that Lord's Day corporate worship, because I think it's important that people are understanding what it is that we do and why we do it. And um, if we don't, if we don't understand that, then it is going to be an optional extra for us. Youth sports and, um, and camping trips and sleeping in and doing chores and catching up, it's going to be Saturday part two. And it's going to be something that 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 is, corporate worship is going to be something that's part of our life when we don't have anything else going on. And so uh, I, I think that we need to have a, a changed perspective on that. And, you know, after going through the, the coronavirus and all of the the social cultural changes that have happened really over the last three years or so, um more more than ever in my lifetime um i would say do we need to grab onto this um concept of of the need for corporate worship so that we can go into all of life and be worshipers there as well yeah that's so good amazing you met, you brought up the 2020 i think that has that has decimated the church um the live stream and, and all that. That's why we don't live stream, you know, we're, mm-hmm. and we're a good sized church, but uh, you would think well, we, we post videos online or social media presence is mm-hmm. active. I'm certainly very um, plugged in, but, mm-hmm. uh, or unplugged. I don't know what the mm-hmm. phrase is, <laughs> but the point is like we, after um, sometime in 2021, we shut off our live stream because it's like, th- this is, this is not corporate worship. This isn't mm-hmm. you, you know, sitting in your, living room in your underwear with a cup of coffee is not corporate worship. So you, you can get the sermon later. Mm-hmm. I'm glad people, I like it when people watch the sermon again, or if you miss church, watch the sermon. Absolutely. If you're sick, you can, you can be fed that way. But uh, we'll talk about that's the significance of being together in, mm-hmm. in that. And I love what you just said about f- the feeding, like this Sunday, cause I'm in John chapter six, the bread of life discourse, and there's multiple sermons. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do five or seven sermons in it, but I, but I said that I said that like, this is the, you're being fed here. (laughs) Jesus is the bread of life and he's the word of God. And man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there is in the, particularly in, in, um, the Protestant word, a primacy to the preaching of the word of God. And, you know, that that's not saying I'm the best preacher or I don't know if I'm the worst preacher, but I'm the man called to preach and feed the congregation week after week. Mm-hmm. And so I told my the congregation, that's why you may have heard, like, I want rotations for volunteers Sunday mornings because I don't want people living over in the children's wing and saying, I'm doing, doing, doing. It's like, no, you need to be receiving, receiving, receiving. And I don't want people sitting up in the tech booth and I don't want people married to their position on the worship in the worship band or the, the, those helping us lead in songs. There needs to be a rotation where you are sitting and even it's not about, you can't do it. I know you can do it. I know you can be up there every week, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
you need to have a, a switch that goes off to realize I'm sitting in the pew right now and I'm being fed the word of God. And you're, George, you're even really good at that as the, as the lead, the senior pastor of your church, but you have, you have two other pastors on your staff and you give them ample opportunity to, to preach because it's good. It's good for the congregation. It's good for them. And it's also good for you to just go and receive absolutely, and, and be able to worship without thinking. And because, you know, as, as a pastor, you know, you're during the service, you're, you're, you're sometimes not really in the moment. You're thinking about the next thing that's coming up. Right. And so I, I think that's, you know, I don't know. For pastors, I, I, it's good for them to do that. To I the brag degree. about it. I, I, cause I, I, I always want my credit. <laughs> but I, I do, I do, uh, I do brag about it. I don't know of really any senior pastor that gives up the pulpit as much as I do. And I don't need to, I, I mean, in my mind, I don't need to, you know, so, but it's not just while George is on vacation. It's, it's first of all, I want to give my guys, they're ordained pastors. Uh, Pablo's an associate pastor, Taylor's assistant pastor, and they're ordained. And when you're an ordained pastor, you're, you're, primary calling is supposed to be the preaching the proclamation of the word otherwise you don't need you don't need the ordination um so i want to give them their their chance i would say they both get eight to twelve sunday mornings sermons a year which means i'm out of the pulpit you know 20 times on a sunday morning and then we do we have sunday evening services um we do that monthly and so then there's that and there's special services and there's and so yeah, and I, I just love when I'm there and I get to just be fed rather than being the one doing the feeding. And and you know, you know, as by the way, we we know as preachers that we uh we are fed as we're preparing the sermon. And honestly, even giving the sermon and 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 I'll listen to it afterwards. And some people find that strange, but like I often feed myself with the word and um I, I typically listen afterwards because I want to know what I said because I usually don't know. <laughs> right, I can't, right. I can't often remember it. I, I'm preaching from notes usually, and uh, but then I'm like always amazed at the goodness of God and His Word, even if I'm the one bringing it to myself. And, oh, uh, I know, I know. I, I, I hope I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. I don't mean it at all. Like I'm not like impressed with myself in that. It's no, more no, just like, it's, oh, it's about goodness. it's because you're 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 dedicating serious study to the Word, and I mean I don't know that pastors should should really, um, you know, make their, their devotional time, their, you know, what it is that they're teaching or preaching on, because you're thinking about more of how to bring it to bear upon people's lives. But there is something to be said for, for the, the practical benefit for your own soul. And it should, right? Because you got to preach that sermon. A good preacher will preach it to their own soul before they'll preach it to the, the, um, uh, the congregation. Amen. As you just heard, uh, this is about time for Grace to stand to to come to a conclusion <laughs> for the day because no, I am broadcasting from my home and uh, and the the natives have, have poured in. So um, it's been a good episode. I'm looking forward to doing this with you, George, over the next few weeks, and uh, hope hope it's a benefit to our listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so my final thought is. You know, we are called to live quorum Deo before the face of God. And, and that's mm -hmm. a, a posture of life that views life as worship and then connects it to the, all the different various things we've already discussed. Is, uh, it's how we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's right. 
Thanks so much for listening and watching. We'll be back next week on Grace to Stand.